I tell the people up front, I have an adversarial relationship with this, um, these wires up here. But we're going to persevere, right? That's what Jesus called us to do, was to persevere. But I might ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 12. As you're turning there, um, a couple of words came out in some of these songs that um, some of you may or may not be familiar with. One of the words that came out was the word paraclete, and that's not talking about, well, there's one cleat and then we need a paraclete. The word paraclete is actually comes from two words. Para means come alongside. The word kletos is actually one that means to call to aid. And so if you read through John 14, 15, and 16, you'll see that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and aids us and helps us and counsels us and comforts us. So when you become a Christian, you may uh, be tempted to think, well, I'm going to do all this by myself. I'm going to, you know, in my own strength and, and all. Well, that's not what happens. The Holy Spirit comes and helps you along and guides you and, and counsels you. There was another that was there, and those of you that may have grown up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and you saw that word Abba. No, we're not talking about the Swedish group. We're talking about Abba is actually a term It's used in the New Testament to talk about an intimate relationship that you have with God the Father. It's another way we we would say the word daddy, Abba, like a little baby would say that, Abba. So all all these words, you know, we think, boy, why in the world do you all just use that kind of language? But think about it. Anytime you get into any kind of field, there's a certain technical language that you have to pick up. And, and that's the way it is with Christianity. Christianity has a beautiful lexicon that once you understand what these words mean, it gives you a depth about your faith that you may not have had beforehand. This is good stuff. And so I hope that we're able even more to dig into what his word has to say. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 18, we're going to go through verse 27. And it says this, and the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and then when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, also the woman died. I'm going to add mercifully, right? In this, right. Verse 23. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you were wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses and the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. I'm going to stay standing. I'm just going to get a a tissue real quick. I remember most things, but I always seem to forget that. 
I'm glad we're able to be together to, to look at this because I think it, there's, a, there's some reminders here that are good for us. Is that when we try to live for Jesus, it seems like that there are going to be people that are going to come out of the woodwork that are going to try to trip us up. And I think when we look at a passage like this and look at like, and same with the passages that we've seen in the last few weeks in the Gospel of Mark, th- there were lots of people that were trying to trip Jesus up. They were actually throwing the kitchen sink at him. So when we look at this, we see a few weeks ago that the temple authorities were wondering, by what authority, Jesus, did you have to uh, tear apart the temple like you did and, and say that we were a den of robbers rather than saying that this was a house of prayer? Um, later on, when they were, um, when Jesus was answering questions from the Pharisees and the Herodians. So these were two people that were very diametrically opposed, both theologically and politically. The Pharisees being ones, they, they were trying to keep the, 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 um, the scriptures and all the traditions, and they were trying to keep the Jewishness of the Jewish people intact. The Herodians were ones who loved Herod. They were Jews that loved the political structure. And so they, de- they never agreed except for one thing. And what was that one thing? They hated Jesus. Well, now, I, I apologize in effect for the, for the dad joke in the title of, of the sermon. But you see there, the, these group, they were called the Sadducees. And one of the things that we see about, about this is that they were ones who were coming along. And they didn't really believe in anything supernatural. there's always going to be people that are going to try to undermine, even for the cause of Christ. They would say for the cause of Christ. There are going to be people that are going to try to undermine you. And it may be well-meaning people, but misguided all the the more. I I saw a little uh, Facebook clip where our uh, Secretary of Transportation, uh, Pete Buttigieg, I think that's how you pronounce his name. That's not how it looks, but it's Pete Buttigieg. And so he expressed concern because we now have a new Speaker of the House, um, Mike Johnson. And when somebody asked Mike Johnson, what was, what's your authority? How do, you, how do you operate? He said, well, I'll just pull down my Bible and I'll show you. And he, he is pray, he's praying on the, the Senate floor. So that, you know, there, there's that. And what Pete Buttigieg, who is openly homosexual, he has a, a, he, he's married to a, a man and he's got kids. And so one of the things that he said on uh, CNN, I believe, he said, now every time I drive by the dome, which is the Capitol building, now every time that I drive by the dome my, with my kids, I live in dread because the Speaker of the House doesn't believe that our family should exist. And so, he, so the, the cries of we have a Speaker of the House now that is a bigot or a homophobe, and I'm not saying that because he's a Republican, I'm saying that because he has all the earmarks of being a Bible-believing Christian. Please understand that the culture now is not on our side anymore. They're going to try to undermine everything that we're about, calling us bigots, calling us homophobes, calling even if that's not the case for us. But there's always an undermining in the culture, and there is nothing new under the sun. They were doing it to Jesus even during his time. So you look at the Sadducees, and again, we see one piece of the Sadducees, but we need to understand a little bit more so we understand how Jesus goes about talking to them. But we also need to realize that this is not just a history lesson for us. I don't want you walking out of here thinking, well, wow, I know who the Sadducees are. I feel so enriched. Thank you very much. What's for dinner? You know, I don't want you doing that. 
I, I want you to understand that the reason that these episodes are included in Scripture is not just for us to gain a bunch of knowledge and, and feel satisfied with ourselves. It's to change how we are, to change who we, how, how we engage with other people. As, as followers of Jesus, that sometimes we can go along and not believe that there's, and act like there's no supernatural anything, that all that matters is this, horizontal, that there's no vertical component to our lives at all. The Sadducees were doing that, and we say, well, that's why they were sad. But I think that's why a lot of us may be sad, because we are so fixated on this piece that we're missing this piece. I would encourage you to take a look. Well, what does it mean? Again, we have these words that we're flying around, and I want to make sure that we're understanding what the word resurrect means. You hear this every so often, that there may have been an, an actor or an actress or a musician, and they were, they were going about some things, and, and they hadn't been on the on the front page anymore and suddenly they've got a new album out they've got a new movie out they've got a new this they've got a new they're trying to resurrect their career so now you're going to hear that word all the time we use it it's basically what resurrect means is to raise from the dead their career seemed to be dead my mom would be telling me Frank Sinatra's career seemed to be dead Elvis's career seemed to be dead this movie and this whatever and all of a sudden they're they're back you see all these reboots. That, that's what's happening is these folks are trying to resurrect their career. And it says, but the resurrection that we're talking about with Jesus, unlike what the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, the Jehovah's Witnesses would say that that's just hyperbole, that he was just raised spiritually. No, this is literal, factual, physical resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. We hold on to that. The Sadducees didn't, but there's more to it than that. So when the Apostle Paul, he's brought before the council, you're reading, you're reading along in Acts, and you know, Paul, wherever he goes somewhere, there's people that love him and, and trust in Jesus, and then there's this group that comes along, the Jews come along, and they're, they're trying to get him off track, and they're trying to arrest him. Well, one time they did arrest him, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. And in Acts 23, verses 6 to 8, this is what Paul did, because Paul was actually trained as a Pharisee. So he knew the buttons to push, right? You ever be in an argument with someone, husband, wife, friend, whatever, they know the button to push? Oh, that's a fun time, right? That's a, that's a ball. So Acts 23, verses 6 to 8. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brother, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. He might as well have just thrown a grenade right in the middle of the room. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And then here, the Holy Spirit gives us some more help on who the Sadducees were. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection already established in Mark 12, right? No resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So they're basically ones who believe in God, but they're kind of secular humanists. That, that what you see is all there is. There's no afterlife. There's no supernatural anything. They could have gone on. There's no miracles. There's no anything. There's no outside intervention. This life is all there is. 
And when you look at this, you, you see one more thing about the Sadducees is that they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. So anything from Joshua to Malachi, remember the New Testament hadn't been completed at that time. So anything from Joshua to Malachi, they didn't see as authoritative. And so what they're looking at is, as, I, as they're looking at the first five books of the Bible, they don't see a case for a resurrection and angels and spirit and miracles. They, don't, they really don't see much of that. Although I would say with the miracle piece, they, they probably need to visit Exodus and the Red Sea walking through on dry land, but I, but I digress on that. But this is what they tried to do. And so the Sadducees, along with the Pharisees and the Herodians and the temple authorities, now were going to come to Jesus, and all of them thought they were so clever, so smart, they could outflank him. We're going to get Jesus. We're going to be the ones to get Jesus, and the crowd's not going to follow him anymore. We'll have a case against him to silence him and execute him. It's, it, it's going to be great. That's what they're thinking. And the Sadducees come along, and they give this preposterous, ridiculous story. And this story, again, this is about, I'm giving you a lot of information right now, but, but this is something that I think is really important for us because there was something that was called a Leverite marriage. And in Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6, now listen to this. If, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed the name of the dead brother, that this name may not be blotted out of Israel. First of all, I just want to say this. I'm glad times have changed. Really am glad times have changed. But there were some values that were here. One is to make sure that the name would continue on. And two, to make sure that the wife was taken care of. Because there was no, there was no mechanism for them that when a husband died, the wife was, women were nothing back then. So God provided some sort of care for her. Again, I'm glad times have changed, but this is what needed to happen in order for those widows to be taken care of. And so the Sadducees were looking at this and they're thinking, okay, well, we're, well then whose wife is she going to be when they get to heaven? Remember, they didn't believe in a heaven. They're, all they're trying to, they're not pursuing truth. And you're going to have people that are going to come up to you and they're going to ask you questions about the Bible, but they're not trying to pursue truth. They're trying to make you and Jesus and the Bible look ineffective. And, and, and if, if any of you are in the room like that, that's like that, or you've been on the receiving end of that, I just want you to stand on the rock, if you're on the receiving end of it, and hold firm. If you're the one that's dishing it out, thinking that you're being so clever and so smarty pants, being, I'm, well, look, at, I'm going to make sure I'm going to undercut you, even as you try to be faithful in whatever you're trying to do, you better watch yourselves. Because this is not something that we trifle with. Since God is the living God, we're all going to have to give an account for something. And, you know, there, there's, there's being winsome, and, tr and then there's trying to make sure that you better, we better just step back and not fiddle around with things that we shouldn't be fiddling around with. Let's get to what the truth is of what God's word is really all about. And so what, what's going on here? What They're trying to trip him up. And so uh, let's get into, okay, what is Jesus trying to show them? Because it's not just the Sadducees. I've, I'm sure the Pharisees are over there in the mezzanine Okay, the, the, the Sadducees now are in the orchestra section, right? They're right there. They're on stage. They're, they're right there or right up to the stage. 
And you know the Pharisees and the Herodians and the temple officials and the disciples and the crowd, people are watching. And I'm sure the disciples may have been thinking, "Uh uh-oh, is this going to be the time that they trip Jesus up? The Pharisees and the Herodians, well, I don't like the Sadducees, but, you know, if they can't get done what we wanted to get done, uh, what are we going to do? We see, though, look at verse 24. Is this not the reason you're wrong? So Jesus bookends what he's telling the Sadducees with the same thing. Is this not why you're wrong? And then what does he say at the very end in verse 27? You're not just wrong. Read the scriptures with me, everybody. What's it say? You're quite wrong. I mean, you're wrong. Wrong, wrong, or wrongest. Wrong, 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 wrong. This is the... You're, you're not even in the ballpark. And the thing is, is that the Sadducees thought that, well, they were wealthy. And so sometimes if you're wealthy, you may think, well, I'm better than you. Look how God's blessed me. That's not necessarily the case. But they also, they were religious aristocrats. They thought they were better than everybody. And so they come up and Jesus doesn't try to have one of those conversations where I don't want to make sure I upset them right at the beginning. He just went right in. Is this not why you're wrong? Boom. And then what does he do? Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because, and look at the two things here. You neither know the scriptures. Well, that's a high offense right there. That's all they did was try to know the scriptures. You neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. And that is very interesting because those two are linked together significantly. If you want to know what the power of God is, you find the scriptures. In the scriptures, you have the power of God. We see a couple of things like this in Ephesians 1. We see the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus. And we'll start in verse 18. It says this, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, to what the riches of his glorious inheritance are in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now you think, well, that's, what, that's what he did when he resurrected Jesus. This is the power of the resurrection for Jesus. Jump down to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There is no power like resurrection power. When God speaks to raise us from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. When that time comes... But there's a time when that actually came beforehand. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel being that we who were in our sins, Christ came to rescue us and to deliver us from our sins so that we might live in him. Our sins have been forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers them no more. He's with us now, and one day we will be with him for all of eternity. That's the gospel. It's not based upon what you do. It's based upon his, what he has done. 
but I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what he's getting ready to say is this is what the gospel is. The gospel is the power of God. See that word power. You neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live not by works, but by faith. So the power of God is there to change you. The power of God is there to reveal to you your sinfulness and your separation from him and your need for him. But the power of the gospel is also to provide the solution. Because there's that old song, and someone was trying to be smart about it. You know, that song, Jesus is the answer. Well, someone came along, well, what's the question? The question is, how can you be made right with God? Jesus is the answer for the world today. And so when it's saying here, they didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand the power. They didn't understand the, the, the need for the resurrection, that this is not all that there is. And so he goes on to say this in verse 25. For when the, they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Here's another thing that we would do well, because every so often we go through a, a spell of funerals. Sometimes we call them memorial services. Sometimes we call them celebrations of life, but they're, they're, they're funerals. We are there to look at and remember the life of the one that has departed from us. So when, when we're looking at this, do you ever listen to what's being said sometimes? Not just from the preachers, but do you ever listen to what's being said around it? Because this is what the Sadducees are doing, and we do the exact same thing. Hear me closely. The Sadducees were trying to present heaven as earth 2.0. Well, um, Bill always loved fishing, so I know when he goes to heaven, he's going to gather around that crystal sea, and he's going to do some fishing. Whatever you like to do in this life, you're going to be able to do in the next life, but you're not going to have to worry about your, your sorry body letting you down or any other, anybody else getting in your way. Heaven is simply earth 2.0. This is what the Sadducees were trying to present to Jesus. That, that, that the marriage issues that were going on there and all, and all that, well, that's just what's going to go on in heaven. And, and Jesus is saying, heaven is not like earth it, that's why when in, at the end in Revelation, it doesn't say it's going to be a new heaven or just a new earth. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It, there's a distinction between the two. And so you read this, they're neither going to marry. So there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. You know why? You want to guess? There's going to be a marriage feast of the Lamb in Revelation 19. We're already going to be married. We're going to be joined to Christ. Because that's the picture of marriage that's here is going to be the reality of what's going on in heaven. Um, they're gonna, you're going to be like the angels in heaven in that you're going to live forever. So there's not, so all this talking about dying, right? The first husband, well, he died. The second husband, he Well, now who in heaven? It, it, it's not going to be that. There's not going to be any sin in heaven. There's not going to be any death in heaven. There's not going to be any limitation in heaven. There's not going to be any darkness. Are you with me, everybody? There's not going to be any darkness in heaven. And you know what else is going to be in heaven? 
that's not quite here on earth? Seeing Jesus fully, freely, in all of his glory. That's why there's not going to be any darkness, right? No electric bills in heaven because the glory of the Lord is going to shine. There's not even going to be any shadows. Picture that. Because that means the, the light's just coming one way. No, it's going to be everywhere. There's no shadows. This is, this is what we have to realize. When we come to funerals, funerals, I, I get a sense that funerals have turned into something that, that was never intended by God. That funerals are all about the person that has died. And it's all about what we don't want to talk about, the hard stuff. But they have died. It's clearly something is, is, is difficult has gone on. But if there is the hope of Christ that we can give to someone while they are thinking about their own mortality, why, would we do, why wouldn't we do that? And if we're going to talk about something that's in the beyond, why not go to where the scriptures are that Jesus is talking about? Why are we trying to make heaven just what we want? Because what, do you hear people talking about heaven, just the average bear? Do you hear them, when you hear them talk about heaven, do you hear them talk about, I get to go to heaven because I get to see Jesus? Or do you hear them talk about heaven because this, it's just going to be an upgraded earth, earth 2.0? That's what the Sadducees were trying to present to Jesus, and Jesus nor we should have any of it. Heaven is not like earth. We'll know each other. I'm going to give you a bunch. We're going to know each other. We're going to have those relationships. We're going to be together. We're going to have a good time. We're going to work. We're going to be useful. There's going to, we're not going to be Yosemite Sam when he gets blown up and he's just strumming the old harp with the, which I would question him strumming a harp the way he acted. Come on. And, you know, with the little, with the little thing, you know, and we're just floating on a cloud. And so they're presenting heaven like it's going to be the most boring place there is. And I think if it's going to be Earth 2.0, I've already had Earth 1.0. I don't want an upgrade that way. I need a new place. I need somewhere that's going to be all in on Christ. Because that's who we supposedly have been longing for now. But sadly, we tend to be too Sadduceical. Oh, that's a word. But we tend to be too much like the Sadducees, where all we're thinking about is this. And sometimes we, we run church that way, right? Because we've been running church for 30, 40, 50 years. We know how to do things. And how often do we pray through stuff that we've done a thousand times? We, not really. Not really because we know how to do it. But someone makes a suggestion, whoa. No, let's pray through it. Let's look at the scriptures to see if we're getting it right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's making sure that we are staying on top of what we're all about. So that's one of the things that we have to understand. It, and Jesus didn't spend a lot of time trying to convince them. He just went after it. He just went in, said truth, and hopefully pl- seeds were planted. But look at verse 26. As for the dead being ra- raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush? The book of what and read about who? The book of Moses is basically what the Sadducees held to as the authority. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was, that was their authority. Anything after Joshua was not authority. Maybe helpful, but not authority. And so Jesus is taking the argument and putting it 
to their authority. You say, okay, so you only believe in the first five books of the Bible? Okay, well, let's look at the first five books of the Bible. I'm going to give you an example of one of the high events that is in that, and that is when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and he is confronted with a bush that is burning but not consuming. You may say, well, in our scientific age and our sophisticated age, well, of of course they would believe something like that. Read the book. Did Moses understand? Did Moses really believe what he he thought he was? He thought he was seeing something that was in his imagination, but it was it was really there. People struggled with miracles back then, just like we do now. And he says this, and and read every word of what's being said. He quotes from Exodus 3, 6. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. What's the verb there? Does it say I was? Was is past tense, right? And if Abraham and I... Okay, so again, I, I want you to know if you're not too familiar with the Old Testament, you hear about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. You, you may think, well, they were all hanging out with each other and having a great time. No, these guys were hundreds of years apart. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over a span of about 200 and 250 years is when those three lived. So Abraham you know, granddad, and then there's Jacob, who's dad, and then, or Isaac, who's dad, and then there's Jacob, who's the son. They're all, all working together. They're all of the same lineage. Moses comes along about 700, 500 to 700 years after the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a long time. So what's 700 years? Think about what was going on in 1300. That's the amount of time. So it wasn't like they were all hanging out together. So when God is talking to Moses, he's using present tense verbiage. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Meaning that they were dead from this earth, but they're still alive. They're with him. So I don't see the resurrection in the in the in the. In the Pentateuch of the Torah, first five books of the Bible. I don't see the resurrection. Jesus comes along and says, yeah. So every so often we hear people say, well, I don't believe in the Trinity because the word Trinity is never used in the scriptures, but the concepts are all over. Well, I don't believe that homosexuality is wrong because the word, because Jesus never said anything against homosexuality. He didn't use the word, you shall not, thou shalt not be a homosexual, but he so affirmed husband and wife for life he so affirmed it that anything outside of that, whether it's sex before marriage or outside of marriage or wherever it may be, he so affirmed that that anything outside of that is clearly against God's design. So just because you don't use the word, so they were looking, they were probably looking for the word resurrection. I don't see the word resurrection in here, but the concept is there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive because they're with the Lord as all people of faith are. Let me ask you this. Do you live with eternity in mind or are you just thinking about now? In, 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 in every aspect, do you live with eternity in mind? Or are you just thinking, well, I don't, I don't really think about eternity, but I remember that one time I, I made a decision for the Lord and I know I'm going to heaven, so that's handled. I'm just going to get on with life. You know what can happen? You'll lose all holy perspective. You're going to act as if this is all there is until the time to come to die. And then you're like, well, I'm glad I made that decision when I was six. 
But are you living a life of dedication to the Lord, of commitment to the Lord, of treasuring Jesus with all you have, of trusting him? When you sing, I surrender all, are you lying? Or are you, are you singing, I surrender all? Because, boy, I remember my mama singing that to me when I was sitting at the, at the bathtub or whatever. It, it's all nostalgia. It's not reality. And we've got to be really, really careful. Do you understand that how when you live with eternity in mind and that God is on his throne and he's working all things together for good to those who love him, that you will be able to face anything in this life with a perspective that no one else will be able to understand. And some of you got some choices to make and some decisions to make, just like I always do. Every single day, there's choices that we have to make. In the year of my birth, 1971, there was a song that was written that has garnered so much love. And it's considered by our culture one of the greatest songs that has ever been written. Imagine there's no heaven. I really don't even want to read this, but I'm going to. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It's hard to, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. There's a belief that religion is the problem, that religion divides, that we need to be spending time here. I want to I read the words to a song that I like a whole heap better. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he's prepared for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, see this writer got it. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Onward to the prize before us. See, the Sadducees didn't have a prize before them. Onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open and we shall tread the streets of gold when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. You may have gotten to a rut, dear Christian. I'm talking to Christians now. Or you're just thinking this way. Yeah, I know I've got heaven. But man, I'm going to live as if this is all there is. Dog eat dog world, like makes like. We're going to get after it and not think about how our actions, how our words, how our thoughts may reflect that all we're thinking about is right now and me and mine. 
But if we start thinking and taking the scriptures and saying, Lord, what do you want me to be? How do you want me to behave? What do you want me thinking about? What do you want me doing? Then all of a sudden, that holy perspective, because we're living with eternity in mind, we're living as if there's somebody on the throne, Jesus, who is taking care of everything on our behalf. It won't always be easy, but even in the hard times, he's teaching us something. It won't always be easy, but even in the hard times, we're remembering this is these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison as we hold on not to the things that we see, but we hold on to the things that we don't see. The things that we see are temporary. The things that we don't see are eternal. Imagine there's no heaven. No thanks. Because I know there is. That's not the greatest song. It's one of the most terrible songs ever written. Hopeless. Hopeless. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. I'll take that one. Thank you very much. I don't want to live as if this this is all there is. And I don't think you do either. So come and trust in Christ. Get a glimpse of eternity. Turn those eyes upon Jesus. Look full in that wonderful face. And all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Help us, Lord. I don't want to live as if this is the only life that there is. I don't want to treat people as if I'm all that matters. I don't want to behave as if everybody owes me something. I don't want to live as if the only legacy to be left is an earthly one. No, thank you. You've changed our hearts and minds. You've changed our vocabulary. You've changed our thinking. You've changed our attitudes. You've changed us, Lord. And Lord, we're all works in progress, but we're on the way to a better country. And we thank you, Father, that we can come to you knowing that you're on the throne. This is not all there is. And we're going to trust in you as the living and abiding, living and abiding God who lives and abides in his word. So if there's anyone here that is sick and tired of living as if this is all there is, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, let's, let this be the moment and the morning that we confess and repent and trust and treasure and commit our all to you, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.